there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, Morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? I'm Don Hall and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. And welcome to Peculiar Journeys, episode 45, Tattoo Stories Contemplating Yorick. Uh, This is the last episode of this season. I'm going to take a month or so, six weeks off, and uh, work on uh, the fourth season. So I hope you've enjoyed these stories of WNEP Theater and the tattoos. And we are now down to my final and tenth tattoo and where that came from. Around about 2005 or so, I had been uh, writing plays for WNEP Theater, and uh, I found, I discovered that most of my plays were not good. I was all right writing sketches. I was pretty good writing short pieces, uh, but I wasn't very good at writing plays. My plays all seemed to feel the same way, which was sort of like a bad George Bernard Shaw. There would be a protagonist in the play, and that protagonist would basically be me. And surrounding the protagonist would be a whole host of people that decided that the protagonist was wrong, and then the play basically was the protagonist, me, no matter men, women, all basically me, proving everybody else wrong. Not great, fun to read, you know, but not great for theater, not great storytelling, not great uh, theater. And so I went to Joe, Joe Janes, and if you listen to this podcast at all, you already know who Joe Janes is. And I said, you know, I really like writing. I think I have some skill for it, but I just mostly really love doing it. It really fills some sort of a hole in in the way I process the world. But man, am I a shitty playwright? And he went, yeah, it's about time you figured that out. Yeah, you're not a really good playwright. And I was like, well, okay, that's not exactly what I was looking for, but okay, it's true. I said, so you're a writing teacher and you're a writer. What do I do? And his advice was just write. Just write every day, write about anything, write about it, then go back and edit it, look at it, reread it, write. The way you become a writer is that you pretty much write every day as a thing that you do. So I started with just a a journal of my own, just like a diary, and I just wrote, and I wrote, and it kind of petered out. It wasn't as satisfying. It wasn't I, I didn't have the commitment to do. There was no deadline. There was no impetus for me to do it every day other than just like, I'm going to do it every day. And so I decided to start a blog. Uh, Blogspot, Google has the Blogspot. They're free. And I started. I decided to start a blog. But before I started to start the blog, I knew I was going to write a blog, but I also wanted to have a voice beyond, hey, it's just Don Hall talking. Well, earlier, about about 
four years earlier, in fact, at WNEP Theater for a late night show. I conceived of uh, basically a ripoff of the Armando Diaz experience, uh, which is at I.O., and was very popular at the time. But it was essentially I created a character uh, of a very angry guy sitting on his porch in the morning reading the Sun-Times and then making commentary as I would read the articles out of that I'd get about a third of the way through and then it would piss me off because pretty much everything in the Sun-Times at, at that time period just made me angry. And I got seven improvisers who would then listen to my rants and then they would improvise based on whatever it was I was pissed off about. And it was called Angry White Guy Reads the Paper. And it was a lot of fun. The, the audience sort of was my, I, I basically called the audience Phil, and Phil was my neighbor across the street who didn't, couldn't afford a paper, and so I would read the paper to him because I was too cheap to give him my newspaper, and that was kind of how the show progressed. It was a real hit. It was, for us, it was a big hit. It was a funny hit because at the time... Uh, the Daily Show had not blown up the way it has. There was a lot of a lot of comedy news programs that were not as prevalent, and I we ended up having a lot of. It was a ten thirty Friday night show. And we ended up having a lot of college students that would come, and they would come because this is where they got their news, which was sad but fun, and we did very well with it. And the character kind of developed into part me, you know, sort of the things that make me angry, with the voice of maybe a little bit of Dis Dennis Leary and a little bit of Lewis Black. You know, it was just a very angry, uh, you know, maybe a callback to Sam Kinison, although I didn't scream so much or at all. And so when I decided to have the blog, I decided that, well, I'll use that character. I mean, I did that character for several years, and it was a lot of fun to do. And that voice is specific and interesting, at least to me. And so I titled my blog An Angry White Guy in Chicago. So it was part character, you know, and part caricature. It was all true. I was angry. I was white. I was a guy. And I lived in Chicago. So it all fit pretty well. And I started in March 15th, 2005, started an angry white guy in Chicago. And that was fun. It was a lot of fun. And, and one of the things that was interesting is I didn't really promote it. I didn't really go out of my way to, you know, try to grow the audience. But somewhere around 2010, it I had about you know, 50,000 readers a, a month. It was a, it was a, a bona fide blog hit. And I got a lot of requests for sponsorship or would you write about this or we'll pay you to do an article about this kind of thing. And it really wasn't, that really wasn't my, my jam. One of the things that I started around that time, or actually earlier than that was uh, based on Edward R. Murrow's This I Believe, the concept of just listing uh, five things that I believed that week. And so I wrote... I believe, ellipses, and then I would say that this, 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 and that's what I wrote, and that was one of the things I did. I also had a Friday roundup where it was just sort of like, uh, here's a bunch of articles that I noticed this week, and here's my commentary. I wrote about theater. I did theater reviews, which did not endear me to the theater community a lot because I was pretty harsh in my reviews most of the time. I got into arguments about... Uh, online theater stuff with people all over the country. Um, there was a whole series of articles I would write or I would comment on articles written about theater and would get into these huge 
uh, comment flame wars. And so it was just, that was, that was an angry white guy in Chicago. And when I started dating Alice, if you recall, Alice was a social justice activist and she considered herself, I mean, she was a person of color, a woman of color, even though she was coming, came from a very, very privileged background. And she really hated the title. She thought it was terribly racist, which I still never get. It's racial, but I, I never got that it was racist. And so I changed it because I was dating her and she just kept nagging me about it to AWG in Chicago, just because it was easier than having to fucking constantly go over that argument with her. So for a while, it was AWG in Chicago. And I had as my sort of the, the logo was a silverback gorilla with glasses reading a newspaper, just because I thought, I thought that was funny and it kind of fit the profile. Jump cut to... When I was at WBEZ, nobody at one point in WBEZ, there was a big push that our because we were a, a news organization that anybody's social media or blogging activity was somehow going to reflect upon the institution. And this was early on, maybe two years, maybe 2009, I think. And uh, they had a big meeting about how everybody had to get rid of their social media presence and that that was just not going to be. And if you had a blog, you had to stop doing it and this kind of stuff. And I flat out refused. And, and Daniel Ash came over and he says, so what are you going to do about that? I said, that's not really the, the question you need to ask. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? You know, I'm not going to quit writing. I'm not going to quit. You know, I'm not going to get rid of the blog. This is something that had, and, and what I realized was the act of writing out just my personal thoughts, things that I wanted to provoke people with, ideas that maybe I had not fully fleshed out, but I wanted to kind of interrogate in a in a public way, uh, was fun and it was actually instructive and it calmed me down. The act of writing out my deepest stuff and my arguments and debating with myself essentially was very therapeutic and it calmed me down in a, in a very substantive way. It became sort of a Zen place that I, I could just get this out of my system and so I didn't have to do it in, in public or in real life or at parties or when I was drunk. So that was, that, that was the angry white guy in Chicago. It was very popular uh, uh, within a certain segment and I had a lot of fun doing it until... You've heard the story of Lily B, Lydia Lucio, uh, deciding that because I unfriended her on Facebook that I was some, some sort of a racist, misogynist piece of shit, um, and going out and drumming up uh, a bunch of people, maybe 50 people that I didn't know, a lot of them I didn't know, to sort of troll me and flame war me, and uh, just make a big lot of stink about what a big piece of shit I was, and part of that was that uh, I was obviously a racist because my blog was called called Angry White Guy. I'm sitting in a conference room with the WBEZ, with my boss, with the WBEZ HR representative, and the WBEZ attorney. Things have gotten, now all of a sudden, Lydia Lucio's online crusade to somehow shame me and pillory me, along with Ian Belknap and Molly Brennan and a bunch of others, had now reached their ears. And we sat down in the room and it was explained to me that this was problematic. This was a problem, that the noise was just starting to reach the ears that they didn't want him to read. It was reach, reaching board members. It was reaching other members of the company, that kind of thing, and that we needed to do something about it. 
And so I, you know, I explained my situation that I, that I felt and I still feel that I was unfairly attacked because I unfriended someone because basically I didn't want to be friends with somebody I had been friends with that suddenly I was on the chopping block in a social media way and that that wasn't responsible for them as an organization to, to, to acquiesce to. They didn't, they didn't want to hear that. That's not what they wanted to hear. What they wanted to hear was they wanted me to fall on my sword and apologize and say, oh my God, I can't believe I've you know, put shame and ruin at the doorstep of this venerable institution and I will silence myself and I will you know, go underground and I'll just be a good worker bee. And that's never been my MO and it never will be. And so one of the suggestions is they, they brought up angry white guy in Chicago. They said, that's a, really, that's a really racist title. And I went, I don't see that as a racist title. Um, have you read the blog? Because that's part of the joke is that you know, people will, and, and I had that happen frequently over the years, is people that thought I was going to be sort of the same strident uh, before there was alt-right, alt-right, you know, NRA, uh, NASCAR-loving guy. They go, oh, an angry white guy. That's, I want to read that. And then it was all of a sudden my angry white guy was very progressive and in favor of gay rights and gay marriage and uh, social and, and equal justice, equality, and racial equality. And so that was part of the joke. But they hadn't read any of it. Um, all they saw was the title and did not see any humor in the title. Well, that was also the time when Donald Trump had been made president of the United States. And I thought about it. I mean, I, at first I just said, no, I'm, I'm going to keep writing the blog and I'm not going to change the title. And then I got to thinking about it a couple days later and I realized, you know, maybe the joke isn't funny anymore. You know, with the actual sort of, you know, the apotheosis of an angry white guy in the in the most stereotypical and awful way now being the president of the United States maybe the jokes just not funny anymore and maybe it's just so open to misinterpretation that nobody you know the people that I would like to read it aren't going to read it because they see the title and they go oh christ the donald trump guy so i thought about it and then i ultimately what i did was i shelved the online blog spot and I started a brand new Squarespace thing called Literate Ape. And Literate Ape did come from the avatar of the ape with the glasses, because I thought that was funny. And, uh, and I love the idea that the tagline of literateape.com was, we're all, just, we're all just apes who learn to read. And that kind of felt like the, the moth uh, assertion that I made that we're all just made of snow that we're all individual snowflakes but we're all just basically the same and i like the idea that basically we're just all a bunch of chimps that somehow learned how to type and read those words and so that was a really compelling idea and so i started literateape.com jump back a little bit in time i met david himmel uh, the first time was at a playwriting competition uh, that was held at Stage 773, and I was uh, tapped to direct his piece, his play, his short play. And basically, the way the competition worked was there, you know, the, the playwrights would write a section of the play, a scene, a longer scene, whatever, and then the audience would watch the scene, and they would vote to see which play got written more that there would be more play for the next week that kind of thing and joe 
uh, was right. Joe James was writing one, and David Kimmel had written one, and uh, I was asked to direct his piece. Well, Joe asked me to perform in his piece, so I had to pull out of performing of directing David Hamill's piece. He was offended, uh, probably in a more tongue-in-cheek way, but you know, he was like, "Oh no, oh no," and so. I was in Joe's piece. David got another director for his piece. At the end of the day, his piece won. David's piece won. And he loved every once in a while just to kind of poke me about that. Jump cut, maybe a year later, I was the host of The Moth. And David Himmel shows up at The Moth. And he's going to tell a story. And he says, you remember me? I wrote the play you totally shunned. You know, you blew off. And I won. And we laughed about that and had a drink. And then he told a story. It was a great story. And so then it became, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. This guy's cool, you know, and he's funny. And I like him, you know, that kind of thing. So now we jump cut it probably another year, year and a half later when all of this is going down with uh, Lydia. And he reaches out to me. David reaches out to me and says, you know, hey, I, I, I was kind of publicly shamed in college for editing a newspaper um, and the Christian right came after me. And I'd love to just kind of pick your brain and talk to you and hear what's going on and maybe, you know, just commiserate a little bit. So I said, sure. Because when you're in, you know, when you're in your late 40s and 50s, it's hard to just make friends. I remember when I was a kid. You just walk up and say, hi, I want to be your friend. And then that either happened or didn't. But when you get older, it's a little, there's just sort of a different kind of vibe. And I thought, yeah. I'll just. So we met at Easy Bar, which is downstairs from where I live. And we had some drinks and we drank a lot. And we talked a lot about the whole thing. And at one point in the conversation, he made the comment that, man, we should start sort of a, a newspaper, you know, a, a newspaper or an online magazine because he was furious about the world and where the world was going and, God damn it, wanted to write some stuff and, you know, wanted to have writers do this kind of thing. And, you know, we both kind of went, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea, but nothing coalesced. And then we separated and I didn't see him for a little while. And then it suddenly occurred to me that, wait a minute, literate ape, that might be that might be an interesting thing. So I reached out to him. I said, well, I've already got Literate Ape, and I'm already paying for the Squarespace. What do you think about making that an online magazine? LiterateApe.com could be our, our online magazine, and you and I could write at first, and maybe we could see if we could get writers to, to join us and get a, you know, a plethora of voices uh, and, and, and see where that goes. You know, and there, there was no big, let's make a lot of money. One of my goals was if we got writers, I wanted to pay our writers. And, you know, granted, there's not a lot of money involved. But so we started literate.com. Jump ahead to March of 2016, 2017, March of 2017, after, you know, six months of kind of battling it out uh, with WBEZ about the direction of the events department. And the, the, the quick hit is Goalie, who was the new CEO for a couple of years, really didn't see the benefit of a stewardship program. At the time, we did a lot. About 60% of the events that I produced for WBEZ were either free or less than $10 to attend because part of my agenda was, and it was always part of the agenda, was to provide events and opportunities for listeners of WBEZ that were not wealthy, that couldn't afford big stuff, that were the dollar a day or the $5 a month kind of don donors, 
to give them an opportunity to really kind of build rapport with the station in a, in a face-to-face way, bring their friends to, to kind of recruit their friends to, and that we were cool. And I also did a lot of stuff on the South and West sides. That was not the agenda going forward. The agenda going forward was less events, higher profile, and much larger ticket prices so that they could actually make money at them. It was much more a revenue thing than it was a stewardship thing, and that just wasn't working out. So in March 2017, um, I agreed to take a severance and unemployment and leave WBEZ because it was no longer a place that I, I was really serving, and they were no longer serving me, so I left. And that was when I went, wow, what the hell do I do with my time? Oh, shit. You know, and I realized, okay, well, I, I produce events. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make literateape.com an LLC. I'm going to make it a business. Then I will be an independent producer, cons- con, you know, consultant. And that's how that's going to go. And what I'll do is I'll produce events and the money that, that we make from the events will end up paying for the writers that we have on our, our list. And at the time, we had about 30 writers. Not all of them wrote consistently, but that's kind of, I've discovered that's kind of how it works in this kind of situation, is that you get people that are interested in writing, and then they find out that it's not as much fun to do on a regular basis, because David and I would edit and look at the stuff. I'm more of a content editor, and David's more of a spot editor, but we both have a little bit of both in us. And so we started doing that, and, and, and so all of a sudden, we had sort of a business model. Whether or not it's a good business model is up to you to decide, or maybe time. But we produce events, because that's one of the things I do. The money from those events pays the writers. Now we have literary.com, and the idea was that we will get enough readership that eventually we could sell sponsorship, but not just any sponsorship, and not just to anybody. And, you know, David's very capitalist in his way, and I am very anti-capitalist in my way, so it's actually a pretty good uh, marriage of ideas. Is. And so we got literateape.com became our thing. Um, and we started a podcast, the Apecast, the Literate Apecast. We talked about a podcast for probably a year, just kind of pissing around but not doing anything. And finally I said, you know, let's just have you and I, to start, let's just have you and I sit in a room talking about things. And I'll edit it down and that's, that'll be the podcast, you know, because the world needs, what the world really needs is another podcast of two white guys talking about the world. But you know, what the hell? We were two white guys, so it's not like we were going to be able to change our skin. And that was what we wanted to do. So we did that. And that podcast has been going uh, gangbusters. We have a lot of fun. Um, I don't know about the listenership. It's 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 okay. It's not great. We're not, you know, breaking any records. But it's fun to do, and we're going to consistently do it every week, and that's good. So along that, now we're coming, coming to tattoo time. I did not get a tattoo for my 51st birthday. If you recall, Dana and I decided, yeah, maybe the nine is enough. Maybe that's enough with the tattoos, with the inspirational phrases, with the things that make me think. Maybe that's enough with the tattoos because eventually my arms are going to run out and I'm going to have to start doing legs or chest and, and she wasn't in favor of that. And I'm kind of like, eh. At a certain point, you, that, that, that enough's enough. But for my 52nd birthday, one of the things that we did, and I found this uh, image of a little statue of a chimp chimpanzee sitting on a stack of books uh, contemplating a human skull and it you know I called I named it Yorick but I really liked the image so I made that the image for the I believes Um, that was my sort of masthead for the I believes that I was still writing on a consistent basis every week well that became identified with literate ape in some ways and David 
came to me and he said, you know, that should be our, our logo. But his wife, Katie, is a graphic designer. He said, can I have Katie kind of redo it and make it a bit more, you know, web friendly rather than just this picture of this statue? Um, and it's not an unusual statue. It's been around. In fact, David's dad uh, gave him uh, very recently, uh, I'm going to say it's about a two-foot-tall statue. It's it's the statue. It's Yorick. That's what it is. And then and we thought that was pretty funny, that the serendipity that his dad had that statue for years and finally gave it to him because we have Littered Ape. That was kind of funny. But she ended up redesigning the logo, put a lab coat on him, which I liked. And, and when it came time, you know, as we did things, David started talking about getting his own tattoo, and I told him, if you get a tattoo, you're going you're gonna to get one with me. And so then I realized, oh, I've just locked myself into getting a 10th tattoo. And I thought about what I wanted my tattoo to be. And ordinarily, my search was for some phrase or wording that really inspired me. But I realized that what I was doing and what I, I you know, sort of like my, my flag for Spain kind of thing was Littered Abe. And so I went to Michael Palmer and I gave him the logo of Litter Day, but it said reinterpret it however you want. And on my right bicep, on the inside right bicep, he designed and tattooed, I think it's rather magnificent, I actually really like it, uh, the image of Yorick sitting on a stack of books contemplating death. And I realized when he did it that this is sort of my spirit animal, uh, a simian, uh, who loves to read and loves words and loves all that, sitting on a stack of books, contemplating and thinking about death and life and the human experience. And I went, okay, this this is the perfect final tattoo that I will get, uh, as far as I know. And that is the 10th tattoo, literateape.com, contemplating Yorick. And that is uh, the end of season three, 45 episodes to date. Um, season four will drop sometime in September. I, I, I don't want to predict anything that I'm going to do because I may change my mind in the next ensuing couple of months. But I, I, I'm thinking very seriously about uh, doing Millennium Park stories, interviewing my ushers and some of the security guards and the people that actually work at you know one of the largest concert venues in Chicago, um, one of the most beautiful parks in the world, and just kind of uh, getting some stories from those folks. I think that'll be interesting. We'll find out if that's what I do. I may change completely in the next six weeks. But I want to thank everybody who listens. And uh, if you listen and share it with others, I, I genuinely, I genuinely appreciate that. This is, you know, it's, it's, it's not making, making me money. And it's probably not garnering a, a great, huge audience. But it's fun. And it's an artistic outlet. And I really actually enjoy doing it. And what's really fun is knowing that there are at least a few of you out there who listen to it regularly and find it appealing and find it uh, edifying in some way. So I want to I want to say thank you to all. First of all, all my listeners. Second of all, I want to thank everybody who has subscribed to Patreon. Um, it's not much money, but it, it does help, and it's very gratifying um, on the same level that paying literateape.com, you know, sort of the pittance they get. It, it's very gratifying to actually say that I make a little bit of money um, doing this because I. I terribly enjoy it and i hope uh and thank everybody who who has been supportive in any way of peculiar journeys i hope you uh come back 
Um, I hope if you are just listening to this season, you go back and listen to season one and two and find something you like about that. Um, I really appreciate anybody that has gone on to Apple Podcasts and reviewed it, written about it, given it a star review. I, I really appreciate that because that actually, it's well, part of it is just nice. It's like likes on Facebook. It's like, hey, thank you for doing it, Don. We really appreciate what you're doing. Just that little bit of appreciation actually means quite a bit. So with that in mind, I'm going to sign off for at least another six weeks. I hope you've enjoyed uh, Season 3 of Peculiar Journeys, and uh, I will see you, or you'll hear from me, in about six weeks. Thanks for listening. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. Peculiar Journeys.